It is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's George. Let's get right into it. I, I feel like, first of all, I'm back. I'm Captain Trips. Is, yeah, is Johnny's back. Johnny's the, good. Back he's, on the mic. I'm good. Better spirits. I'm in better spirits, um, especially because of the results this past weekend. And we'll get into all oh, of that. Yeah. But George, I want you to start off this, uh, you know, post Notre Dame dubcast with your misadventures um, of the past 48 to 72 hours. I'm curious about how you were. I, I want to hear the story about how you were cursed by the uh, the fall weddings jinx. I, I don't look at this as a curse, yeah, especially well, not if, the way uh, it turned out. <laughs> especially, especially if uh, my friends uh, Lauren and Patrick, congrats by the way, are listening to this. It, it certainly wasn't a curse. It was a it was a perfect evening, you know. Especially if you're an Ohio State fan. Uh, right. But that's that's kind of what I'm going to get into with this story because this, uh, I you know, I'm not going to gush over my personal life on this show, but this story took an unexpected uh, or my. My uh, weekend took an unexpected turn into shareability on this show that I wasn't anticipating when I made my way out to Colorado. Uh, we were about two hours west of Denver at, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Devil's Thumb, the uh, the natural monument that's at some kind of rock outcropping that like looks like... I've heard a- of Devil's Tower. Are you yeah. making like mashed potato thumbs? I, I think devil. I think devils. You know, in, in the way that there's Little Dipper and Big Dipper. Perhaps there's. Uh, I know Devil's Towers in Wyoming. I've actually right. seen that myself. But no, Devil's Thumb is. Uh, it's not quite the uh, same imposing presence <laughs> that Devil's Tower is. That being said, it's very scenic. Uh, perhaps you know just as much, if not more. And uh, you know, my friends had a very nice, uh, excellent wedding. That's cool. Um, what I didn't anticipate was that uh, because uh, I, I, I did, you know, recognize, in fact, that uh, the bride's maiden name was Irish um, and she did come from a rather large family, uh, but, you know, not any larger than my my other friends, although it, he has quite a few siblings himself. So it was not out of the ordinary to me. But this it just hadn't really occurred to me, these different facts uh, as I was going to this wedding out in rural Colorado. And mm-hmm. then as, uh, you know, the bride and groom are taking their positions up on the altar and everyone is sitting down and whatnot, the, the patterns begin to dawn on me uh, that Irish last name, big family, and all of a sudden I notice that all of the bridesmaids are in green dresses. <laughs> and the maid of honor is wearing gold. <laughs> They are um, showing their their and you know and the funny thing is I do know that two of the um two of the groomsmen at this wedding are also Ohio State fans. So Actually, why did they pick this? Three okay, them. why did they pick this weekend though? Why did they choose? I that? believe Saturday was the first day of uh, fall technically. So yeah, fall right. the changing the fall equinox. You know, it's a fresh. Uh, you know, start of new beginnings okay. or new seasons, whatever, you know, it's a nice little romantic flair on that. That is purely my speculation. I'm not going to speculate on someone else's uh, marriage, but I'm just saying as Notre Dame <laughs> fans, if you're, if you're looking at this and you're like, all right, how are we, how we got a game plan this? Okay. Well we could pick, uh, let's see, NC state, they are, Central they Michigan. are lending their love to Notre Dame on a day, which they need it most. I don't know, but I'm right, not, I'm not saying enough. my friend was a Notre Dame fan either, but that be he's, he's mostly stayed out of sports for most of his life, but I'm sure he'd right. defer to his, uh, his, his newly, uh, married wife. If, uh, you know, in any case, if he did need to show support to a team, that being said, 
I've, as I kind of have alluded to, even on this show in the run up, I knew I was going to be going to this for months and it was out in rural Colorado. So my anticipation was, I'm not going to watch this game at all, even though it's presumably the make or break game for Ohio state season, Michigan, notwithstanding. Uh, but you know what? I missed the game last year for a wedding, for a family wedding. Uh, and you know, I just wanted to be present and, uh, I really did that for most of it. I, I was hearing occasional updates from like the groomsmen that I alluded to that were also Ohio state fans on uh, the other side Mm -hmm. of the Notre Dame family. Um, but I, again, I really just want to be present for it. And because, you know, I'm already grateful enough to have this platform with you on which to discuss this. It was like, I'll, you know, watch the game later and be able to talk about it. But then, you know, the game unfolds as it does. Uh, and we get down to the last 90 seconds and I, I noticed that all of a sudden, uh, people have suddenly figured out how on this ranch to get a Wi-Fi signal and <laughs> invariably right. the, uh, the stream is up and people are watching and, uh, I realize, okay, there's a very special moment coming and not only this, you know, Ohio state season, but this college football season, and I'm probably going to need to witness this. And, uh, I got to tell you. Being in that ballroom, there were about 200 people there, and I remember I I saw pretty much every one of uh, the bridesmaids get have their their man have to walk up to them and tell them the chip rumbled over the goal line, and just watching the <laughs> the slow realization that those golden domers couldn't quite get it done on what was an otherwise perfect day, but for Ohio State, and well, just watching that ripple effect. I couldn't help but just think about Dan and Andy and Garrick and Chase out there in the in the cold late September of the press box in South Bend working the the beat for 11 Warriors and and framing this unbelievable victory for Ohio State football and how proud I am to share the 11 Warriors label with them and you Johnny and it made me feel a little bit more connected in the world while I was uh, out in rural Colorado even though I was surrounded by uh, friends and uh, signs of love it was I just uh, unbelievable uh, night for Ohio State and I also love the fact that uh, oh an Ohio man could ruin uh, yet another wedding for other people <laughs> I uh, figured when I relayed this story so, the uh, F fall weddings brand that 11 Warriors kind right. of you know radiates would appreciate what had happened here but well and it's yeah. it's their own fault and uh I'm, I'm glad that it was a wonderful beautiful time except for that very specific thing that made it so much worse the bride and, and groom said it was perfect so i hey, think everybody well, came out ahead that's right <laughs> so good for them and good for us uh we get to talk about this i didn't go to colorado this weekend but i did sit on my couch and watch Ohio State, Notre Dame. And, you know, I've got some takes on this, and I'm, I'm sure as you do as well, uh, George. But I do want to say, as a preface before all of this, um, I don't think anybody was as hyped and, and as maybe as nervous about the outcome of this game as, as a certain head coach for Ohio State, uh, Ryan Day. So I, I think the lead up to this and then, of course, the aftermath that we're going to talk about that is intensely interesting. And it's going to be something that uh, probably sets the narrative for the rest of the year in a lot of ways. Um, but we'll get to that. Let's let's do a quick breakdown. What I want to do is I just kind of want to go through the game as it happened. 
uh, touch on some key moments, and then of course the uh, the aftermath and and maybe some takeaways from this overall. So you know, and that State, would help me because I actually just got done watching the game for the first time today. <laughs> I well, was not even go. aware Travion Henderson had one of the most aesthetically pleasing touchdowns of his entire career with Ohio oh, State. So that was, was very nice to see. And a and a incredible uh block that to, that sealed the edge there for injury the, notwithstanding. Yeah, injury notwithstanding and hopefully it's not as bad as it looked and you know it, it's one of those things where an extra week uh gives everybody some time to heal but we'll get into that. Marv is half Wolverine, he's fine. Yeah, well <laughs> Maybe not Wolverine, but maybe, you know, the... the He's the, some the, kind of superhero. Some Sabretooth. Let's go with that. Um, <laughs> I was never a Marvel guy, I'll be honest. <laughs> I like Spider-Man. Oh, I love Spider-Man. Um, so, <laughs> Ohio State kicks off. The the first, or they receive the kick. They, they, uh, they get the first um, series of the game. It looks fine. I mean, you know, Kyle McCord looks like he was getting a little more comfortable. He's thrown to Cade, gets a first down. Uh, and then they kind of like stall out uh, about at midfield and then Notre Dame takes over. And this is the thing, like my impressions about how uh, games start, particularly marquee games, is that I feel like because they're so heavily scripted by the offenses, um, it gives you a good idea about the philosophy going forward and how how teams are going to try to approach, you know, opposing defenses. I was I was a little freaked out, frankly, because Notre Dame goes and has this 14 play, 70 yard plus drive where they're not getting huge chunks. They're just consistently getting six or seven yards on, you know, third, second down, extending the drive. It starts all the way at the Notre Dame 11 and they get it to the Ohio State 18 before, you know, fourth and one Hartman's run out uh, for no gain after that, um, you know, the replay after the review, the call. But at that point, you know, even though Ohio State gets off the field with no points, um, you know, scored by Notre Dame, I was not feeling particularly confident after that because it, it just it felt like Notre Dame had a lock on the running game. Hartman was going to be the dude that everybody expected him to be consistent, steady, et cetera. And I was like, man, this this could be like a shootout situation. Ohio State's going to have to keep pace. That didn't happen, but I, I'm curious, George, what your impressions were of that first. No, I, I I very much agree with you. Uh, watching that Notre Dame looked like they were more comfortable executing early yeah. on, and that's to be expected. They were the home. Estime team, looked but... good. I mean, you know, they Notre Dame ran out like four running backs, but he he definitely looked like a featured back for that. I have to say I didn't anticipate the shootout that you did based on the uh, rhythm of the scoring and the fact that the half ended up ending in a uh, three nothing total. But <laughs> that right. I, I did. Right. I didn't do agree with you. I think the parallel that I, I draw just in terms of why I'm I, you know, I'm encouraged by the team overall um, relative to a difficult situation is. I was very much worried that the the rhythm of offense that you described in terms of six or seven yards at a time was what Oregon was going to chunk Ohio State to death with in the 2015 National Championship. Mm, yeah. And if you recall, Oregon actually got the ball first and went down and just scored immediately in the way that you just described in a right. way that I feared they were going to be able to and that was going to keep Ohio State from winning the title. So I went in... Uh, with skepticism that that was going to be how they were going to get chunked to death. They obviously adjusted and responded in very emphatic fashion in, you know, championship fashion. 
And that's that's the kind of response that you want to see from a team that has championship aspirations. When you're put on the ropes like that, how do you respond to that level of adversity? And they not only did that late in the game, as was you know illustrated by that final drive and you know the themes that Day was alluding to, but also in the early stage of the game when they neither team was able to get in the end zone and neither team was able to have the consistent success on fourth down that both teams have really enjoyed uh, throughout the early stages of this season. I believe Notre Dame had converted every fourth down going into this uh, game that they had attempted this year. So let's talk about that actually a little bit because Ohio state next drive after, you know, the Notre Dame skunked on uh, fourth and one at Ohio state 18, Ohio state basically goes three and out Notre Dame puts together another drive. They have a missed field goal. And then Ohio state responds. I think this is, you know, where I was like, okay, this is where they've got something going. They get all the way down to the Notre Dame one. They have two shots to get in, and they come up with nothing. And at that point, I was like, I don't know what this game is going to look like because it looked like Ohio State's defense was starting to get you know a little bit of a handle on what they were doing, uh, what Notre Dame was trying to do, especially in the passing game, which, by the way, notably, I think uh, Josh pointed this out in Slack, They only went at Denzel Burke uh, once in the entire game, which is wild. Um, So they they had an idea about what was going to happen with that. But to not get points there was crazy to me. And I was like, okay, well, here we go. Notre Dame's going to come back and score. They didn't, though. They they basically had five plays and had to punt. Um, Ohio State strings together another, you know, pretty good um, uh, drive. Gets all the way down to Notre Dame 13. Gets a field goal. And then after that, that's the end of the half. So... To me, that first half was like, it, it felt like this crazy prelude where both teams really didn't have a great handle on um, how, to, how to generate points against each other's defense. And that, that was kind of weird to me. And I understand it more from the perspective of Ohio State because, you know, it's you've got a tough defense, I think, with Notre Dame. Um You've had some struggles in the running game that you're struggling that that you want to rectify. You're trying to prove this toughness thing. There just feels like a lot going on. Notre Dame seemed like a team with a more solid offensive identity, and to see them struggle actually made me a little bit more confident going into the half because I was like, okay, Ohio State can figure this out at halftime. I don't know that Notre Dame's got a different punch. I don't know that they have a different approach. They're going to come out and do the same thing. Uh, in the second half, and, and that may work for them. And, and, you know, as we saw, like the Ohio State defense got worn down a little bit. But at halftime, I was feeling fairly confident, um, not just because you get three points, but also because it looked like that was pretty much you had taken the best of what Notre Dame had to offer. And I didn't expect them to put up like 20, 21 points um, in the second half. I didn't see yeah, that they did. They did play a better second half than a first half, and they did kind of find their offensive groove, I think, in the in the second half in a way that, you know, they just kind of weren't able to quite get over the hump in the first. I think that a lot of that mm-hmm. just kind of comes down to the the defensive ability that Ohio State has at every level this season. Um, the one play that stood out to me very, very much was uh, the stop that Ransom and Styles had together on fourth yeah. down with Hartman. And Lathan um, Ransom, who was uh, getting his uh, flowers this this past weekend uh, for having a great game, I you know for a dude who gets a lot of crap, I think he played outstanding against Notre Dame. I think he did a great job. He did do a good job. 
Um, I did, I did want to go back to a couple of the things that you, uh, referenced earlier. Um, I'm actually, one of them is escaping me because it's difficult to keep two of them in my head at the same time. But the one thing that you did touch on, uh, was the short yardage situations that ended up costing Ohio state points, because that is a theme that I've I myself have been very, very regularly touching on going back to last season has been, this team's Achilles heel has been its ability to get to the sticks or get in the end zone on those Mm -hmm. yard to gain short, anything inside of three yard situations. They haven't been able to get it done, whether it's with Mayan Williams or Travion Henderson, they just haven't been able to convert on those. It destroyed them in the Michigan game. It was Mm -hmm. one of the biggest reasons that they weren't able to find consistent offensive rhythm and why the game eventually got away with them and they weren't able to control the ball. We've unfortunately seen the same thing in all three games this year, the Notre Dame game included. And Ryan Day was even uh, acknowledging of that in his post-game interview to the point that or it might have been him or McCord, actually. I'm not sure which one of the two it is, but the point is that the, at the management levels of the team and the offense, they recognize that that is a problem that they need to correct. And I think that for a team that recognizes that we need to fix this issue, for them to win the game in the fashion that they did, where they said we have had four yard to gain and short gain situations in this football contest where we have not gotten it done. This has been the thing that has held us back since last year. We need to win this game right now. Are we going to finally grow up and get it done? And they got it done with Chip. And right. I Ed is a big time monkey off of your back mental lift endorphin release for a football team that is such a huge thing for them and i'm so happy that they got it It makes me feel very confident for the rest of the season going and we'll get to that when we when we kind of talk and break down that final drive because um to me it's really interesting that like you know that's going to be the focus and it should be the focus for ohio state but there were a number of times throughout the game where they did not get that yard and they really still got to clean it up (laughs) They got to clean up, and, and that's the thing that we're going to talk about. And so, uh, you know, it's interesting that you know Chip Trainum is is now uh, kind of that guy uh, where we thought that Chop. I mean, if I was looking at some of the preview stuff that we did uh, before the season started, I mean, you know, everybody expected that Chop was going to be this basically. I always said Master Teague was better than <laughs> Mayan Williams, and now that. He has been well, usurped That's... in the running back room by uh-huh. a former Arizona State linebacker. Yeah, okay. All You're of you still... hams, muscle uh-huh. hamster loyalists can eat it. Yeah, you're still wrong. That's incredibly <laughs> stupid then and still stupid now. But um, let's talk real quick about the rest of the game here. First of all, I didn't mention the uh, the uh, uh, catch that wasn't uh, that Marvin Harrison Jr. had. Uh, that was ruled uh, incomplete, which was incredibly stupid. Um, and there was a number of uh, bad officiating throughout the game. Uh, I, I don't agree calls. with that. I actually thought the game was extremely well officiated outside of I, – I didn't appreciate I, I that. I don't think anyone will agree with you on that, the, but what I will I say think, is I think the intentional they corrected it after the they intentional the grounding – I thought was not handled well at first, just in terms of how late they did it. But I thought right. the way that they explained it overall was done no, was really a, well. That was an accurate call, but 
Marvin Harrison absolutely came down with that ball. He had a foot in. He was not bobbling. Uh, that was a terrible call on their part. Um, the fact that they called right. the touchdown, Mecca's. Let me like let me clearly... let me clarify. Then I think the replay crew was excellent. I the think they did clearly, their job yes. admirably. Yes. Let me yeah, let me say job. that then. But they but they count as part of the officiating crew. So that's true, and they they did do a good job at cleaning up uh, the mistakes that the guys on. Yeah, the, they didn't uh, call the a Mecca's right. catch a catch on the field. So, or uh, his touchdown. So that was yeah. obviously not <laughs> right. That was silly. Um, but after Ohio state comes out, they get the field goal at the end of the half. Uh, Notre Dame comes out. I was honestly afraid Notre Dame would come out like gangbusters. Instead, Ohio state puts the clamps down, uh, have a great fourth and one um, stand uh, on their own 39 yard line. Uh, to, to stop Hartman. I thought that was, you know, that was just a, a great team effort. They read that thing beautifully uh, and just nailed it. Uh, and then you immediately come out with a 61-yard touchdown run from Trayvon Henderson, who, aside from that, did not have a great game. But guess what? All yards count. And uh, that one was, you know, ultimately probably one of the biggest get, you know plays in the entire game. Um, Harrison, he drew a very know, key pass interference as well. If you that's true, that. he did, and which well, a hilarious on one of your obvious, favorite wheel routes. I believe that's right, uh, and and a hilariously obvious pass interference too. Which I just those are always my favorite, where it's just clearly you know a terrible uh, foul. Anyway, um, he you know gets that sixty-one yard touchdown. Also, same amount of yards that Eddie George rumbled for in the uh, the mid nineties against oh, wow, uh, Notre Dame. So that's fun. Um, so that was great. And, you know, at that point, Ohio State's up 10 nothing. Notre Dame responds with a just a huge drive. I mean, they, you know, they get they get the ball at their 25. Uh, they march down 75 yards and 13 plays, uh, get the get the touchdown. And at that point, I'm like, OK, this is this is like this is starting to amp up. You know what I mean? Like that was really where my I think internal anxiety started to crank up about 50 notches. Um, Ohio State has to punt the next uh, drive. Notre Dame comes out, takes the lead with a 96-yard touchdown drive. And at this point, uh, I just thought that uh, the Buckeyes, I didn't think they were washed, but I was like, this is, they're on their heels. They are yeah, I'm like, I'm like half defense, a dozen tequila sprites deep at this point, but for entirely different <laughs> reasons than you. Right, yeah, the the defense was had been on the field a lot. Uh, a ninety six yard, uh, six and a half minute touchdown drive is usually a backbreaker in a game like this, uh, especially when your offense comes out and then turns it over on downs um, at the Notre Dame eleven. On look, that yeah, was brutal. It was brutal, and it was and, and Ryan Day deservedly, you know, had they lost this game, especially, but it, regardless gets a lot of crap for that call on that fourth and one, the Notre Dame 11. I do think it's important to point out that they had third and one at the Notre Dame 11 and did the correct quote unquote play call with Henderson and got nowhere. Um, so I, I don't know at that point, maybe it's panic mode. Maybe it's, I, you just don't trust your guys. Um, but here's my point. Here's my overall point. We're going to get to the touchdown and then the game and stuff. Ohio state had three critical, uh, fourth and goal or fourth and one plays in this game. One of those turned out the way they wanted it to, when they wanted to just be like the ultimate, like, okay, this is, you know, hat on a hat. The most important ball. one turned out the way they wanted it. Right. To. But my larger point is 
if we're going to go ahead and say like, okay, the, this team is fixed, that they have figured out how to play like tough, aggressive, you know, goal line football. I don't know that that's necessarily the case yet. Um, I would love for that to be the case, but going one for <laughs> one for three, uh, you know, that's great when the one really needed to happen. Um, but if you get those other two, the third one isn't necessary. So okay, again, this team this season had not been able to do it at all in those situations. Right. So I'm looking at that situation where they need to do it, and I honestly, I'm like, they there's a very realistic chance that they just don't hand the ball off here, that they don't trust yeah. Chip <laughs> to gain right. it. That's right. I was anticipating a pass. Yeah. Of, I'd like, okay, I thought, you know, they – are they just going to chuck it up to Marv again because he's the best player on the field and he didn't really get the best shot that he could at it on the previous play? Or does this team want to have the well-balanced identity that it needs to win a national championship? And right. they, going back to last year, they, they didn't have any sort of encouragement that they could do that against high-level competition. And in the moment where it's put up or shut up, more important than any other moment in the game, the entire moment that they work for, they came out ahead. That That is the seed of confidence that you need in order to bring about change in what is a problem in that needs correction. And I believe that that moment is going to be one that we look back on in the rest of this season. With that confidence, when those situations arise in the future games when they get, I think that in subsequent short yardage situations, even against teams with <laughs> perceived defenses like Penn state or teams that can put 11 players on the field. That, that, <laughs> listen, that's that. Okay. That is a very fair and accurate point. There's something that I do want to allude to with this fourth down thing, which is that, which sure. you also did coming into this, uh, you know, the Notre Dame drive that you're about sure. to talk about, which is that, that that play call was horrific. The sweep oh, yeah. to Ibuka. I, oh my god! <laughs> any you cannot we that that is a theme that we cannot see. It's good to see the like right, you know right. just ram it in for the short yardage gains. Right. But if that I think that does speak to the desperation in terms of like trying to figure out what to do in those situations for these teams. Sweeps yep. on fourth and line to gain to the situations the are horrible. Horrible, <laughs> horrible play calling decisions. Yeah. Nonsense. Yeah. I don't want, I don't care if it's, you know, a toss or a jet sweep. It's just not the way to do it. It just right. is instinctually bad football on fourth and line to gain situations. And, and I think no you're more. right when you say, when you say the word panic, like that, it felt like a panic call. And, and that was at that point, I was like, game over. I, I did not have any confidence whatsoever. And I even put it on Twitter. I said, game over. Um, I, I had no confidence whatsoever in Ryan Day's play calling and the team to be able to bounce back because that is such a panic move at that point that you're like, they got nothing. They got nothing left. And so, you know, Notre Dame comes out and, you know, really at that point, they had the running game rolling. They could have just handed the ball off, you know, three times. Then I think they would have been able to just kill the clock and, and win the game. Um, I think what happened was, is because Notre Dame was trying to get out of the shadow of their, uh, end zone of their own end zone, they, they throw that pass right on first and 10 
uh, for 12 yards. I think that gave them a false sense of confidence about how well their their passing game could get them. Yeah, I could see that. Because after that, they get an 11-yard run. All of a sudden, they're at their own, you know, like 34, basically. Um, They look good. And then they're like, okay, well, we're just going to kill them, right? Like, this is it. Yeah, they're feeling themselves a little too much. They're feeling themselves a little too much. They they get greedy. They try to throw the ball. Hartman gets hit, uh, loses five yards. And then they're like, oh, crap, now it's second and 15. They they try to throw it again. Little Uh, cheeky screen. Yep, Tumaloal breaks that thing up. And by the way, that's not a terrible – I think it's a bad idea to throw the ball in that situation. The actual play call wasn't terrible. If Tumaloal doesn't – break that thing up i mean that's like a 30 yard game i think you save the um, screen for third down in that case because if you've got I, a third down you're already like right. selling out for like a run out the clock thing anyway exactly. the screen the screen is a bit too passive i think in second and long in that situation where you're yeah. just trying to get a first down to win and i think that's a i think that's a very fair point um but two makes a great play on the ball and now all of a sudden i like, know you have to throw it uh or you know you don't have to throw it now you'd have to actually have to run it because now you're just trying to get you know some time off the clock um and you can't run do. a screen two plays in a row because jt's gonna pick it off because right, that's exactly. what happened to justin fields last week <laughs> <laughs> uh, i like how you, I, I really appreciate you uh getting that reference in there um so anyway doesn't go well for Notre Dame. Uh, they have to punt, but still, I don't know what you've seen at Ohio State at that point to give you confidence that they're going to be able to go, you know, 65 yards in a minute and a half. Um, and then the first two passes that Kyle McCord attempts are hilariously bad. Uh, the one that goes just right over uh, Henderson's head is just like, okay, well, okay, let's start packing this thing up. It happens. Um but Emeka shows up. They get a 23-yard pass uh, completed to him for a first down. Uh, Stover, you know, just kind of gets the thing rolling a little bit. And then up there at fourth and seven, uh, Fleming. I love, I love that play call. That was actually probably one of my favorite in the game. They do this bunch formation to the left. Uh, Fleming gets it, who had been pretty quiet all night. He he makes all the season, first down on fourth. Even. Yeah, all season. He gets the fourth down uh, conversion by like a half a yard. I loved how they they scheme that up. Uh, I was happy he later. had that kind of contribution. That's that's I a agree. big moment for this team, and that shows how important he is. I agree. And then Marvin Harrison, uh, you know, apparently indestructible, comes out and uh, makes that diving catch for about 20 yards. Um, you know, you have the intentional grounding penalty, and that's, you know, frustrating. But it, it ultimately didn't matter because Emeka gets another one right down to the Notre Dame one. And then we have this sequence where two incomplete passes on first and second which again you're going to you're going to have to try to get it to Marvin Harrison Jr obviously i don't think you you have a choice uh and then uh you know second and goal uh Notre Dame's got 10 guys on the field they they luck out and then third and goal they have 10 guys on the field and guess what ohio state runs it right where they ain't and uh you know chip gets the he gets the touchdown by about 3 inches and that's that's all she wrote um i don't know man I, the the thing is, I think we can, you know, pick nits about um, the uh, the play calling and the toughness and all that crap. The truth of the matter is, though, for me, is that I, if I'm taking something away from that final drive, to me, what I'm taking away is Kyle McCord being incredibly cool under enormous pressure. 
uh, shaking off some bad passes and and really just delivering when he absolutely needed to. I, I love the fact that they ran it in for that touchdown. That's great. I, I know that's a big moment for Ryan Day and all that. Um, but for me, it was really Kyle McCord coming out and just, you know, being a badass. Lost in the late game hysterics. Um, you know, all the drama. Ryan Day's interview obviously went a little bit viral in and of itself because of how emotionally charged it was. I, as a quick aside, I thought that the way he handled it, like because a lot of the full context wasn't given, I thought it was really cool when the journalist said, thanks for your time. And he said, thanks for your patience. Uh, right. I, I thought that he, given how he started it, um, I thought that he handled it perfectly. But what really struck me was the interview afterwards with McCord because, I mean, this is one of the biggest stages for regular season college football that you could have. And I'm just thinking about the guy that was in front of McCord right before this, who is currently off to uh, uh, one of the more sparkling three-game NFL starts that we've seen Mm -hmm. in recent seasons. And the guy who was in that position before him, who is, you know, an established NFL starter at this point, but is obviously encountering a great deal of adversity in his own, uh, you know, evolving NFL career. But the point is, there were two guys in this position before McCord that, you know, have that were occupying that role that have now risen to the professional ranks. And McCord just, I, I was listening to him speak relative to the thinking about Stroud and Fields before him and just thinking, I just don't remember feeling like they were as young as, as McCord kind of looks in this position right now. And for him to get that kind of vindication and that kind of win and belief in not only himself, but his entire team, I, I really think that this is a, it was a big maturity growing up moment for Kyle McCord that is really going to, I think, help develop and evolve his confidence as the season goes on. There yeah, are still things I that I would like that. to see corrected with that. Um, one thing I think that he absolutely is going to need to have rectified by the end of this season, and it doesn't just fall on him, is he needs to get a much better uh, backfield rapport and chemistry, particularly on checkdowns with Travion Henderson. And he's got to get that in a way that once he figures out how to put that into place, he can then easily transfer that into the other running back and check down types in the offense that they can use. We saw Chip use as a receiver more than I think we ever have in this past game. If they were able to blend Chip, that power style running back, when they're rotating in those goal line and short yardage sets in a in a way where they could use him for checking down, that would be huge. We've obviously already seen it done with Mayan Williams. You've alluded to how much you've wanted to see Evan Pryor. There's going to he's going to need to develop his check downs with uh, Travion and the other running backs in this offense because he he just doesn't quite and we did see it in this game the the elusiveness he can extend the play but that that elusiveness and escapability and that you know if you think about a guy like McCarthy relative to McCord that sure. kind of elusiveness just isn't quite there and the way that you overcome that is by having a very sharp sense of when and how and to accurately check down the football. Right. 
Travion needs to give him some help with that, but he missed a lot of, I think, those short yardage throws um, that have plagued this offense, not only this season, but even in recent seasons. Um, I think the most famous example would be the drop screen pass J.K. Dobbins had against Clemson uh, that ultimately cost them that game. So mm-hmm. that's that's another problem in addition to the short yardage um, conversions that we have seen in a recurring theme with this being a problem in the offense in recent seasons that he's going to need to grow up on. But again, I mean, you can't even imagine how much battling through that kind of adversity imbues your your spirit with confidence going forward the rest of the way. So I really, we've made allusions to how it's so kind of like smooth sailing from here until Michigan, but I really do think that it's going to be very much enjoyable now that this kind of nervous oh, are we really, is this, is McCord really our guy stage? I think that we're kind of past that now. I'm going to enjoy watching this guy develop as the season progresses for better or worse, based on the fact that I I think he was really, really young coming into this huge, enormous moment. And for him to battle through the way that he did and and guide the offense uh, the way that he did without you know, necessarily breaking resolve or or getting super worried. I think that this entire team is going to grow up with McCord now that they recognize that he's their leader. And that's, that's a powerful thing for everybody to be raised up by a same dynamic. That's powerful team chemistry right there. Yep. And I, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I think um, that relates to kind of how Ryan day reacted at the end of the team or at the end of the game, because I think he knows what a big building moment that is. And, you know, I don't, do I think it's funny that he's like, you know, that angry about what something, you know, that, uh, that he was just more emotional than like yeah, genuinely yeah. pissed off. Right. And I, I would agree with that. I, I, I think the context is funny because it's, it's coming from, you know, like Lou Holtz, like a barely, yeah, a barely <laughs> intelligible, you know, Sylvester, the cat just insulted your football <laughs> team. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like super pissed about it. But the, the truth is, is that that's why I think he was so emotional. It's because he understood what it meant for his team. And, you know, in football, if you call somebody soft, if you say they're not tough or they don't have a mentality, I mean, that's like the ultimate insult, right? And let's be clear. If you're playing collegiate football at this level, right, you're tough. You're you're pretty freaking tough. And so I understand why you would take that. No, J.J. McCarthy's afraid to get hit, but otherwise I agree with you. Right. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's why. Yes, yes, yes. I think that's really why Ryan Day took such a big offense to it, because it's not – it's not a such, you know, a situation where he's like really angry about, you know, um, you know, something Lou Holtz said. I think it, it has more to do with the fact that there's a narrative around the team that they're not tough, that they can't convert. And, you know, when you need a yard and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you don't want to hear that. I mean, that's that's like one of the worst insults I think you can levy uh, in, in the football world. So, you know, like I said. I don't think that Ohio State can proclaim that narrative dead. You've you've got to convert more than one of three chances in, in those types of situations in a game to say that you know you're you're now Wisconsin and you know you're 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 going to just ram it down people's throats. But with that said, you also converted when it counted in the biggest stage with the most attention on you in a hostile environment, and that counts for something. That that means something. Um, and so I think, you know, Ohio State as a football team, this is a huge growing moment for them. I think they're going to go back and evaluate and, and see what worked and see what didn't, um, and, you know, and, and try to take advantage of times when they can really build off of that in the future. So, you know, again, 
I don't want to get too much into like Ryan Day and all that stuff because it's been hashed, you know, it's been discussed to death. I, I will, but I will say, I do think it's that, cool that he 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 went to bat for his team, and I I know that's going to be a building moment for them. Yeah, I but I will say in the lexicon of uh, Ohio State Notre Dame trading insults, uh, I, I'm not sure that what Lou Holt said uh, holds a candle to uh, what Gordon Gee threw out. Uh, you know, oh sure, yeah. about ten years ago. <laughs> yeah, um, right. One one last thing I want to you know just maybe to put a bow on this is I Emeka uh, Ibuka in two games against uh, Notre Dame has 16 catches for 186 yards. Oh my God. Let's go. This, <laughs> that's why this guy is left and right. He's great. This guy is a wide receiver one. Yeah. It's not he's, just he's Marvin Harrison. Ohio state has two wide receiver ones and we need to start talking about them as such. We can acknowledge Marvin Harrison jr. As this potential top three prospect that he is and still give the roses to Igmeka Igbuka in much the same way that we did Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave at the same time. I don't think that that has been driven home enough going into this season, just relative to how good Marvin Harrison is. And I think that it's time that we start giving the flowers to Emeka Igbuka in a way that I think a lot of the people paying attention have, but the casual Ohio state fan, I think after this now needs to start showing a little bit more love as well. Yeah. 100%. Um, I absolutely agree with that. He's, he's, I think every bit, you know, as good as a marquee, as a featured uh, wide receiver as anybody else in the country, including Marvin. So um, great game, exciting, fun. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to take away from it. Uh, we're going to discuss it. I'm sure more in the coming weeks. We've got a buy coming up. We'll, we'll discuss all that, uh, you know, as it kind of, ain't no lie, baby. Bye, bye, bye. There you go. Um, but before we do that, before we get to ask us anything and, and a quick look at the national scene, let's hear from one of our sponsors, one medical. The best defense is a good offense. And that goes for your health too. That's why One Medical, the modern doctor's office, is changing the playbook for primary care. With four C-Bus locations and 24-7 virtual care, One Medical helps Buckeyes stay healthy. And the relationship with OSU's Wexner Medical Center makes it easy to get access to specialists. To get your 30-day free trial, visit onemedical.com and use the code TRY1MCOL. That's T-R-Y, the number one, M-C-O-L. All right, that was one medical. Let's do our favorite part of the show. That, of course, is Ask Us Anything, which, again, you can ask us literally anything by sending us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com. Let's go ahead and uh, and answer some questions here. This is from Bryant, uh, who uh, wants to know, um, hey, Johnny, resident Michigan football guru, I remember looking at Michigan's <laughs> schedule last year and thinking, how do they get away with this? Uh, but then I looked at their schedule this year, which is somehow even worse. And I thought, how do they keep getting away with this? Uh, so my ask us anything question is, how does Michigan continue to have such an ungodly, easy, Clemson-y cakewalk schedule? And where do we sign up? Oh, uh, I for- love I love that Clemson-y cakewalk. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that was a great turn so of phrase. Good. It is. Um, uh, and by the way, P.S. for what it's worth, the difference between our schedules this year really comes down to Notre Dame. <laughs> That's right. Notre, uh, yeah. It, to be fair, Ohio State does not have the hardest uh, schedule themselves uh, in 2023. Michigan's uh, 2023 schedule, for reference, uh, East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, Rutgers, Nebraska, Minnesota, uh, Indiana, Sparty, Purdue, and then in the last three weeks, they play Penn State, Maryland, and Ohio State. Now, that's what I call little sisters of the poor. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Um, 
you know, a lot of Michigan fans will say that I think they had, I think they had like L or UCLA scheduled this year and they backed out or I don't know. They, they had some other, you know, like B or C tier team that they were going to play instead of, I think like UNLV. Um, but regardless, it's a pretty God awful schedule. And honestly, it could bite them in the ass in November. I mean, honestly, like, you know, you walk, you, you sleepwalk through most of the schedule and then all of a sudden you've got to play Penn state and then Maryland and Ohio state in consecutive weeks. That could be tough for them. Um, so we'll see what that happens, you know, how that plays out starting in uh, I think the second week of November there uh, with Penn state, because that could be, that could be dangerous for them if they're, they're not, you know, got their heads on a swivel. I I think that if you, the, the tricky part of this is that if you lose early enough, it's forgiven, but you right. have to lose in September and September is about to be over. So mm-hmm. the, the sooner that you lose to the time the selection committee meets, the the more bias is held from a recency perspective in the committee's evaluation. We've seen Ohio State lose? consistently penalized for that relative to Alabama. Right. I think the same would apply to Michigan if they were to lose before they play Ohio State. Do you think if they lost to like Penn State, uh, they would still have a shot at the college football playoff. Not at not if they because um, if they beat Ohio State. What what go, did when, when do they, they play? When do they play Penn State? November eleventh, I think. I think it's November. 11th. I think it comes down to how Penn State is doing. If Penn right. State's still a top ten team at that point, and they beat, and then. Um, it, I, I hope we don't get into one of those weird triangle situations where it's right. like that's what I'm saying. Ohio that's, State that's beats Penn point. State, Penn State beats Michigan, Michigan beats Ohio State. That's, that could get messy. That's what so I'm I, at. I see what you're getting at. So in that point, it does come down to what is that tertiary team doing? If Penn State's still in the top ten at that point, I think it gets weird. But if their perception is that they're not as good as advertised and that they were overrated because they've been hanging out in the top 10 all season and mm-hmm. then they lose a few games and then they lose to Michigan and they've already lost to Ohio State at that point we'll we'll see how their October goes so right. I, I if they lose to a bad Penn State team I would say no but if they lose to a Penn State team that has I mean, at that point, if they are playing Michigan, it comes down to you know, are they are they still being taken? I don't think Penn State is a top ten team if they don't beat Ohio State at that point, hmm. because they're going to be playing at the end of October. Right. So, no, assuming Ohio State beats Penn State, if Penn State were to upset Michigan, I don't think Michigan makes the college football playoff. No, okay. even if they beat Ohio State. Yeah, I think. That- that that situation at the end of the year is going to be really interesting just because of how many of those games are played in the last three weeks. And it, like you said, it's all relative to where the teams are perceived to be at that point. So that's going to be interesting. Um, last question here. This is from our good friend, Alvin, who wants to know pretty blunt. I like, I like the getting right to the point. Ohio state plays Notre Dame 10 times. How many times does Ohio state win? I, I I really think it's a coin flip based on what I saw. I mean, that's I kind of so a cop out answer, but it when it comes down to the last play of the game like that, and it might even be less than a coin flip relative to Ohio State's success rate in those short yardage conversion situations. Because right. if you're going to tell me that it comes down to that play of the game ten times. I'll say Ohio State probably loses seven times out of ten just based on the historic. Uh, right. a recent history of performance in those situations. We'll see how the rest of the season unfolds, but 
I just given everything that we saw in if they play that game 10 more times in South Bend, I would say that it would be close to 50-50, but I would probably lean Notre Dame based on the fact that I think they had a little bit more overall success in the game. Um, but Ohio State in in the most crucial moments where their back got up against the wall, they showed stiff spine and resolve and and pushed back and they were able to do that enough to grit out a win. So yeah, you can do 50, that. You can't lie. You can't rely on that for a strategy consistently right. though. Yeah. I think 50, 50 is probably good. I think they win five, four or five, six of those. I mean, it, those teams looked really evenly matched in a lot of ways. I think Hartman is really kind of the difference maker for Notre Dame. Um, he's played, I mean, he's literally like 28 years old. <laughs> the guy is, I mean, he's not 28. I think he's 24 or something, but the, the, the guy has played forever. Yeah. Um, He's got a ton of experience. He is a difference maker for them. And uh, I don't know that that was that was definitely a game that Vegas had tabbed as a really close one. Um, and I think that Ohio State good. covered. It was only they, a field hell goal. Yeah, there you go. Get that extra point in. Right, um, exactly. <laughs> and Vegas is just praying to have that extra second put on the clock. Oh, the um, under the under got steamed too. It opened at like sixty three and a half, and it closed oh, yeah, at like yeah. fifty five and a half. Forget and the final score tally was like thirty one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they got that that whole yeah that got skunked. Uh, honestly, this is the season to be hitting the under, in my opinion. Um, clock so, rules, Bubba. Uh, tell me about it. Uh, so. Thank you for asking those questions. We'll continue to answer them. Uh, before we get to the last portion of our uh, uh, podcast, you're going to hear from another one of our sponsors, Able Roof. Need a new roof, but you're not sure if you can afford it? No problem. Able Roof offers 0% financing for qualified buyers. Call 614-444-ROOF right now to get your new roof with 0% financing. Able Roof has been servicing homes in Columbus for over 40 years. Able Roof is home of the one-day installation, and Able Roof will remove your old roof and install your new one all in one day. On top of 0% financing, Able Roof offers a lifetime guarantee on every new roof that they install. This is a company you can trust. They make the process painless, and with one-day installation, you'll have a new roof before you know it. Don't put getting a new roof off any longer. Call Able Roof today. Call 614-444-ROOF. That's 614-444-ROOF. All right, thank you to Able Roof. Thank you for One Medical for sponsoring the Dubcast. I also want to point out that uh, there were other games going on, and we'll hit on those real briefly uh, Michigan uh, came out, and I, here's my thing. You know, I do threat level every week. Uh, they beat Rutgers. The thing about Michigan, they won 31 to seven. They only had seven offensive possessions the entire game. Uh, McCarthy was fine. He he bounced back from uh, Bowling Green, where he just looked like you know just absolute crap. Um, the running game, though, and their offensive line continue to be this enigma that I don't. I don't know what to make of it. Donovan Edwards has been terrible. Uh, Blake Corum, I think, is a very good running back, and he continues to be a very good running back. But he's really working hard uh, to make things happen behind the offensive line. And, you know, it's not that they're, again, garbage or anything like that, but I don't think they're nearly as dominant as they were last year, uh, particularly in, um, you know, those those grinded-out games, those short-yarded situations. They just don't look as intimidating as they did um, a year ago, I do think that they wanted to air it out a little bit more uh, than they than they thought they were, you know, than they you know have been perceived as being capable of doing. Um, and they got a lot of time to figure it out. But this, 
I, they look shakier than I expected. I really don't think they're the number two team in the country. It's a draw another parallel between sports. Uh, you know, one of the consistent themes that you see in March Madness is that a lot of the high level teams that rely on slow, grindy paces to win mm-hmm. basketball games, such as Virginia, uh, commonly thought of uh, in mm-hmm. terms of that. I believe Bennett Ball is the uh, term that is associated with Mr. Tony Bennett over there for the Cavaliers. Um, yeah. But when Mr. Bennett finds his team's forced to play up, upbeat, like fast-paced, fast-tempo basketball, the decision-making for the team is accelerated in a way where the probability for mistakes is dramatically increased relative to what the team is usually comfortable at, at playing with. I believe that you see a similar thing somewhat taking place with Michigan and J.J. McCarthy in terms of the way that he handles the offense. When they're able to play at the the grind-you-out pace, uh, the the run-the-play-to-clock-down-to-one-every-time, the ball only leaves the the hands of the quarterback on a handoff or play action – uh, you're you've got you're so committed to the ground game and winning the war of attrition and the line of scrimmage that you you just don't you, all you want to do is just wear down and get out of there and not really put any flair on it and any time that you're forced to get into that shootout mode you're not necessarily comfortable with that right. and you make decisions that end up compromising your game we saw that was the case with. Uh, the TCU game last year for Michigan and you've seen when they do try to get a little bit more flary or ahead of their skis than maybe what's necessary that's when they've either been bailed out by the lower talent of their opponents Um, you know I've seen them get quite a few fortunate officiating breaks in my opinion even going back to last season on potential turnovers but Mm -hmm. that's neither here or there the point is they they are not comfortable playing in shootouts and at the highest levels of the game, you are going to find offensive talent that can force you to play at that pace, regardless of how good your defense is because perfect offense will be perfect defense every time. If Ohio state's able to make the game a shootout with them this year, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how that unfolds. That's a tall order for a late November big 10 game outdoors, but uh, we we are starting to see that this team loves operating within its own pace, but that also kind of lends itself to games that are, are slimmer than they otherwise should be. And that right. game with Rutgers really was hinging on one possession in terms of that kind of meme pick six they had on fourth down. If Rutgers doesn't turn the ball over there, if they convert and they're able to finish off that drive where they're already in Michigan territory by getting into the end zone, it's a one-score game, and it's much closer going into the fourth quarter than I think right. a lot of people anticipated. And so Michigan they, just, they not don't as good as it advertised. Yeah, they just don't look comfortable. That. And it's weird. And it, it, it's it. This is a team that should feel comfortable with the personnel that they have. Um, they just got they their just, head coach back. I don't know about that. <laughs> that's that's true. Uh, so Texas skunks Baylor. Uh, you know Florida State and Clemson go to overtime. Hilarious that Dabo is now two and two and zero oh and two in the ACC. Um, you know I actually expected Florida State to win that one big, so I was a little surprised that it was as close as it was. Uh, USC, I actually stayed up for this one because I was too wired from the Notre Dame game to go to bed. So I stayed up to like 2.30 watching USC. Uh, what was that running back's name on Arizona State? 
Scooter something. Yeah, Scooter Bow or something. Scooter, Scooter Bow. Oh, my. What a hearing the commentary team call his name on all those touchdowns was so great. Uh, Scatabo, 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 Scatabo. Scatabo. Not only, I'm not just a running back. He was a he was a passer. He was a quarterback. He was a receiver. He was doing everything. And you know, it was a fun game until basically like halfway through the third quarter, and then. Uh, you know, you kind of realized that USC was going to win this thing. Until you um, remember they have the Heisman Trophy winner on their Right. Uh, it, it's just funny that it takes them that long to overcome their just god-awful defense. Um, so that's that's going to be an issue all year for them. Uh, Iowa, the, you know, I love I love all the trackers. I love what, you know, Garrick is doing and every, other people are doing and trying to, you know, keep track of Iowa's um, offensive output, which at this point is just – horrific uh penn state wins that one pretty comfortably although you know again kind of low scoring uh washington comes out they beat uh cal though cal put up 32 on them and, and that you know I, I understand that at the first you know when you're leading by like 35 points after the first half you're really probably not paying that close attention to what's going on i still think michael Penix jr right now is my heisman front runner uh, I think Oregon, they beat USC right now, if I'm being totally honest. I think Washington is the most underrated team this season by far. I agree with that 100%. Oregon uh, houses Colorado. Uh, you have really close games, USC, UCLA and Utah. Uh, LSU uh, escapes Arkansas. You know, the other big one, uh, I think maybe the last one here to talk about is, uh, well, you had the Pac-2, right? You had the two-pac uh, championship with Washington State being the Oregon State. Yeah, the Tupac championship. Um, but Alabama and Ole Miss, boring game. Old, uh, you know, Ole Miss, they were leading at the half, but they never felt like they were in control of the game. Alabama eventually overcomes that. It's at Alabama, right? So they were eventually going to, you know, get things going. But their running game, their passing game is still super shaky. Um they, you know, they're 13, they were the 13th ranked team and they still don't feel like a top 10 team. It's that uh, Saban swan song, man. He don't care. He's just trying to get out of here with a few dubs and some Debbie oatmeals. <laughs> That's right. Um, and then, uh, you know, kind of the lower end of the top 25, the true number one team in the country, Duke beat the crap out of UConn. Um, but you know, overall it was, it was a kind of a weird up and down, weekend of college football and uh honestly it was a good weekend for ohio state to have the stage let me just say that that's exactly what i was going to say i think ohio state um picked the perfect time to do that and and that was a a marquee game and a marquee time and um yeah it's going to be fun going into the bye week to see how the rest of the college football world kind of plays off of that uh you know what other teams feel that they need to do to make a statement all that kind of stuff uh, it's it's going to be fun, I think, to uh, to be able to take a breather. It's going to be nice for the team to take a breather, get ready for Maryland, which is oh, one yeah. of those teams that I think is is pretty underrated at this point. Um, that's going to be a tough game, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I like where Ohio State is at right now at this point, especially after, relative to the rest of the college football. World. After an emotional <laughs> trip like that, it, it is really great for them to get a bye week because right. they can really savor this victory because they deserve it. And I'll tell you, so like that and game, get a little healthier, right? Like I want Marvin's ankle, right? To be 100%, and that's important you know? too. But this game, I mean, especially in a season where you've really just got to, you know, you maybe take a day to enjoy your accomplishment and then 
you got to just get back into the process for the next week because you've got another opponent coming up uh, in less than seven days. For them to play in a game that, in terms of, it's very rare that you get a football game that is wire to wire competitive like that. Right. In scoring, in a bo- and in, and not only just in scoring, but in terms of each team having their offense go against the other team's defense and having high-level competition on both sides of the ball, to have that play out for 60 minutes is exceptionally rare. That is a game that if I were trying to introduce this sport to someone that had never watched it before, that is a game that I would want to show people. In terms of what I want this sport to be and what I want to participate in, even when it's not you know, the most aesthetically pleasing, blistering uh, shootout pace, just in terms of competitive football at all aspects of the field, that is right. something that I would want to show someone. And for Ohio State to get a win in a game like that, that has so many eyeballs on it, I really hope that they take this. I hope they have the happiest week of their lives in their season in terms of the prep and for the rest of this season and the confidence they have coming off of that. I think this is going to be such a healthy, happy two-week stretch for them, but particularly this week that they get to savor the victory for as long as they can without having to just immediately go into, all right, who's the next guy? We already got to go back to war and we can't even, you you know. And you don't get a lot of chances to do that in college football. You know what I mean? So I I 100% agree with that. I think it's a good time to reflect uh, enjoy it, uh, you know. And Ohio it. State fans should do the same thing. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's not going to happen. But I do appreciate. <laughs> I do appreciate that the team gets to do that. And Ryan Day, you know, gets to you know rest on his laurels a little bit. So that's nice. Uh, which, by the way, I mean, this is the dude who who wins top ten games at a pretty, pretty, pretty fantastic clip. Um, so. Great game out of Ohio State, uh, exciting, dramatic, all of those things. There's a lot to learn from, a lot to improve, but I think that now that they have the, uh, they've got a template to do that. So that's going to be a lot of fun watch, uh, watching uh, for the rest of the season. Um, we're going to keep talking about it, keep thinking about it, uh, keep dubcasting about it. So until next week, hey. I'm Johnny. I'm George. And we'll see you next time. Take care, folks.